Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk to a spokeswoman with John Glenn Columbus International Airport about how the travel industry is going and about a new airline flying out of CMH. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend takes a look at controversial attempts to change voting laws around the country and a Central Ohio congresswoman who was arrested earlier this month for protesting them. She'll also have information about the Delta variant of the coronavirus and safety concerns for Columbus firefighters. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with someone from the Buckeye Institute in Columbus about Ohio's economy and the complicated employment situation. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone is Sarah McQuaid, who is the Manager of Communications and Marketing for the Columbus Regional Airport Authority. How are you? Hey, Dave. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us, uh, just in a nutshell, what the Columbus Regional Airport Authority is. Absolutely. So our Columbus Regional Airport Authority operates three of our local airports here in Columbus. That would include John Glenn Columbus International Airport, which is um, primarily our our, uh, passenger-focused airport, Uh, Rickenbacker International Airport, which is primarily cargo-focused and also has some passenger flights, and then Bolton Field, um, which is a general aviation airport. And uh, when it comes to air travel, we've been hearing from the federal government, seems like every week we're uh, hitting new post-pandemic levels of travel. Is that happening at John Glenn Columbus International as well? Absolutely. We are definitely starting to see things spring to life here at the airport. Um, You know, I come in every morning and um, leave in the evenings and it's really great to see things getting busier here. Um, We're seeing a lot of leisure travel and um, definitely in line with what we're seeing at the national level, uh, we're up to about 75% of our pre-pandemic activity. Wow. And uh, how low did it get? How big of a drop was it at its worst? Oh, at the, at, at the worst point, you know, it was pretty low. I think uh, our lowest number of, of passengers coming through the airport was maybe 400 people in one day. And um, now we're, uh, we just had our busiest day this past Sunday, and that was 12,400 passengers. And so, yeah, it's, it's been uh, really a drastic difference. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's 30 times more people. <laughs> it's definitely good to see. I've also been reading that uh, business travel is perhaps lagging a little bit. This is obviously a big time for uh, people to catch up on vacations that they might have lost, and it's taking a little bit longer for businesses to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, you know, that's going to be a really important indicator of when we could see full recovery. Uh, business travel is um, taking a little longer to come back, but we're, we're hopeful that it, it will start coming back. Um, we actually just recently conducted a survey with our um, corporate, uh, some of our corporate travel partners in the region. We're still crunching those numbers, but um, it's looking like some companies are planning to come back and, and have their employees travel again. I think it's going to be driven a lot by company policies and also just personal comfort levels. So I think seeing that leisure is coming back, that could be an indicator that people will be more comfortable traveling for business, too. Talking with Sarah McQuaid with the Columbus Regional Airport Authority. There's some big news that we're going to talk about in a minute with a new airline and and new uh, destinations. But before we get to that, what are the safety protocols at the airport right now? Well, the most important thing to remember the next time you come to the airport is that masks are still required. And that is part of a TSA um, security directive. 
and um, that is in place at least until September 13th. So make sure to bring a mask with you. Bring a few extra masks. Um, they're required in the airport and on the airplane. And we do have masks here. They're available for people who forget um, to bring one. But, but yeah, that, that's, that's probably the most important one to remember right now. And does the airport, other than that, does it look pretty normal? I mean, does it look more crowded maybe because of, uh, I don't know, fewer TSA people or have the lines been changed, anything like that? Um, not really. You know, um, generally, if you, as long as you arrive a bit early for your flight, um, a couple hours before it takes off, uh, you, you should be able to get through the lines just fine. Um, you know, it is, it is busy just compared to what it was like um, in the heart of the pandemic, but um, yeah, just give yourself some time, get here a little early, and, and you should be good to go. A new airline. This doesn't happen every day. Right. Yeah, this is really exciting news. We, we were really excited um, to announce back in May that Breeze Airways would be operating out of John Glenn International, and uh, they just had their first flight to New Orleans uh, last week, last Friday, and so we were really excited to um, see them offer that for that inaugural flight to New Orleans, and um, yeah, it's uh, tickets are available at, at uh, flybreeze.com. They're also flying to Tampa, Hartford, Norfolk, and Charleston. You know, when I saw the list, Hartford was really appealing to me because I've, for whatever reason, have not ventured into New England. And it just seems like it would be fun to, almost on a lark, you know, take a trip to Hartford sometime just to see what it's like. Yeah, you know, I've never been either. Um, it, it is really kind of excited, exciting to see some of these new routes that are being launched and start to kind of imagine where you can go next. And um, one thing I would mention about the Breeze routes in particular all five of those routes actually have um, economic development, business, and industry ties with Columbus. So it's it's also great for business. You know, these low-cost airlines, uh, in some circles, they may have a reputation for not providing the service, but I've flown on them before, and, and I don't see a huge difference between these low-cost airlines and, and the big players in the game. Yeah, this, this airline was actually launched by entrepreneur David Nealman. And they also launched uh, JetBlue, Azul, WestJet, and Morris Air, if you're familiar with any of those. It is a low-cost airline, and um, they really base their entire business model off of being the seriously nice airline. So um, I haven't flown with them yet, but I'm really excited to try it out. What kind of an adjustment does an airport have to make when a new airline comes in? Because that's a huge decision that has to be made. Yeah, we were, you know, obviously really excited to welcome them. There's just some slight operational adjustments, finding uh, ticket counter space and finding a, a gate space so people have a place to go board their flight. Um, but you know what? We got it done, and uh, it was a pretty quick turnaround, but we're excited that they are now officially uh, launched. What's the activity level uh, either for passenger or freight uh, at uh, Rickenbacker these days? So right now, uh, for our call this morning, I really just have the combined traffic levels for our passenger activity at John Glenn and Rickenbacker. Uh, that uh, is, as I mentioned earlier, about 75% of our pre-pandemic activity. Uh, it's, it's definitely starting to rise in um, traffic over there as well. Shortly before the pandemic, there were some new routes opening up. 
nonstop routes out of Columbus to, to places on the West Coast and whatnot. Are those still in place, or what's going on with that kind of thing now? Yeah, so you can visit flycolumbus.com, and you can see a map of our, our current nonstop routes offered out of CMH and LCK. Uh, some of the routes have been restored, and what's been really interesting to see is that demand has changed since the pandemic, and some of the um, business demands, um, so routes like San Francisco and New York might take some time to come back, but we've seen a lot of leisure destinations come back, and a lot of airlines are also adding brand new leisure destinations. Uh, we actually have information on our website, uh, flycolumbus.com, where you can do a map to see where we're flying, and there are a lot of really great options out there right now. It's nice to see things starting to ramp back up after, especially after all the renovations and, and all the work that has been done at, at uh, John Glenn Columbus International because it's, it's a completely different looking airport than it was five or ten years ago. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't been to the airport recently, you might you might um, not have seen, we, we have a new rental car facility that will be opening on September 1st. It's located along International Gateway. You can't miss it. And we're really excited about that. It's going to enhance the customer experience for people who um, like to rent cars when they come into Columbus. So um, that's definitely some more exciting progress that we're making. What we're uh, communicating to people is that you just need to follow the purple signs. Um, you know, our airport is, is really great about our, our wayfinding signs. So if you just follow the purple signs that say this way to the rental car facility, you'll find it no problem. And is there still a plan to build a new terminal down the line here? That could be um, down the road in our future. And, um, you know, the, this new rental car facility could be a project that helps position that. Okay. So the pandemic isn't knocking everything off its game at this point. Right. Things are have been in recovery mode for a while, but you still have to look toward the future. And um, that's what we do every day, just staying operational and uh, serving our, our customers uh, 24-7. Um, but yeah, always looking down the road at what's next. Talking with Sarah McQuaid, Manager of Communications and Marketing for the Columbus Regional Airport Authority. Anything else you'd like to add? flycolumbus.com and if you go to flycolumbus.com slash beyond ready that's where you can find a lot of great travel tips um, if it's been a while since you've traveled um, and you're wondering you know how the pandemic might have have changed air travel or, or changed your experience in the airport take a look at that that website and you'll find a lot of really great resources to help make sure that you're beyond ready for your next trip all right. It's exciting to see the industry come back, and let's hope that uh, things stay tamped down enough that the resurgence continues. Let's, yeah, let's definitely hope so. Sarah McQuaid again with the Columbus Regional Airport Authority. Thanks again for your time and the information. Thank you, Dave. Have a good one. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. 
We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State, from last Sunday. You can catch the newest episode of it this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. A lawmaker who represents much of Columbus was taken into custody on Thursday. Coming up, the point Congresswoman Joyce Beatty says she wanted to make about your vote. Mom and Dad, check your bank account. Child tax credit payments are being deposited. But there's a possibility you'll want to opt out. And John Glenn's 100th birthday. We'll look back at the life and legacy of an astronaut, a senator, and American hero. Face the State begins now. Ohio's 3rd District Congresswoman Joyce Beatty was arrested. She was placed in plastic handcuffs during a demonstration in Washington, D.C. We thank you for joining us on this Sunday for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Nationwide, there are conversations about voting rights and voting security. And the Congresswoman, who also chairs the Congressional Black Caucus, was arrested in a national voting rights march. Keep your Dozens of people got together to protest voting restrictions passed in states across the country. They ended up going to the Hart Senate office building to pressure Republicans. And then this happened. Capitol Police arrested the congresswoman with zip ties around her wrists. Representative Beatty was one of nine people taken into custody. A short time later, posted to her Twitter account saying, let the people vote, fight for justice. Congresswoman Beatty's office shared this message after her arrest. She said, quote, I stand in solidarity with black women and allies across the country in defense of our constitutional right to vote. We have come too far and fought too hard to see everything systematically dismantled and restricted by those who wish to silence us. Be assured that this is just the beginning. This is our power, our message. Representative Beatty wants the Senate to pass the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. That's federal legislation that would curtail restrictions being set on voting and gerrymandering at the state level. Some of the most restrictive voting laws in our nation are in Texas, and there are proposals to make the laws there even stricter, which is why some lawmakers actually left the Lone Star State and traveled to Washington, D.C. in protest. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, said... Like Congresswoman Beatty, they'd be arrested when they return home. 
and they did not get a warm welcome from the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. State legislators from Texas decided to grab some beer, hop on a private plane, and flee the state in what they are pretending is some great moral crusade. In reality, they've just come here to Washington to snap selfies, bask in the limelight, and beg Senate Democrats to take over Texas elections. What does the president think of this move? I think that the president's view is that um, these Texas legislators uh, were making a statement uh, through action uh, in opposition to efforts in their state to oppose restrictions on people's fundamental rights and their rights to vote in their state. We wanted to take a closer look at what that legislation would do. Our sister station in Houston, Texas, connects the dots. Texas House Democrats ran to Washington, D.C. to prevent new voting restrictions from being passed. So what is on the table in Texas? Let's connect the dots. There are actually two bills in Texas that would change some of the voting rules in the Lone Star State, Senate Bill 1 and House Bill 3. While the state Senate still has enough people to get work done, without the lower chamber there to sign off on legislation, it can't go anywhere for now. So what's in Senate Bill 1? It includes a ban on drive through voting unless the voter has a disability and needs to do curbside voting. Also, a ban on overnight voting. It would require polls to be only open for nine hours between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. Plus, if you drive three or more people to the polls who are not family members, you would have to fill out a form with all of your identifiable information. House Bill 3, that was stalled by the Democratic walkout, has a lot of the same provisions as the Senate bill. It would make it a state felony for local election officials to send unsolicited applications for mail-in ballots to voters. It also alters ID requirements for mail-in ballots. All of these changes were enough to drive Democrats out of Texas. But even that drastic move may not be enough to stop them. Now, Ohio's Secretary of State says the Buckeye State is a safe and secure place to cast your ballot. But for that to happen, the state has to enforce election security requirements. Secretary of State Frank LaRose announced that his office has referred 117 non-citizens to the Ohio Attorney General. For some context, there are nearly 8 million registered voters in our state. LaRose says these 117 potentially violated election rules in 2020. The state's elections chief also talked about security in the race to replace Congressman Steve Stivers. LaRose took us for a tour of one of the state's busiest voting locations this week. Well, I've got my future voter with me. This is my daughter, Ellie. And she said, can I come with you? And how could I say no? The secretary, along with his daughter, teamed up with staff to show how voting machines are prepared. This was at the Franklin County Board of Elections on Wednesday. Unfortunately, there's all kinds of mythology out there about elections. People make up all kinds of conspiracy theories and they tend to, to run rampant. Uh, but the good news is that when Ohioans actually look at the process, they realize it's a trustworthy one. You can find all of the voting information you need at 10tv.com. Now, the House GOP leader met with former President Donald Trump. This is really a pivotal moment for the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy is considering who in Congress should investigate the deadly January 6th insurrection. You'll remember, President Trump was impeached for, but not convicted of, inciting the insurrection.
During that, that time, there was a run-in between Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and fellow Republican Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney. This is according to a new book called I Alone Can Fix It. Cheney says in a phone call, she told Jordan, quote, you expletive did this, end quote, and slapped his hand away when he tried to get her to safety. We did reach out to Congressman Jordan for comment. We have yet to hear back. He helped get them to the table, but will he finally get the vote? Ohio Senator Rob Portman helped lead negotiations on a bipartisan infrastructure bill. Lawmakers will be working on finalizing the text. We, we want to move as quickly as possible, and you know we think there's an opening now to get it done, but we're not going to shortchange the, the, the process um, because it's important to get it right. This is an historic commitment in our nation's infrastructure unprecedented amount of money, among other things, and new policies, including uh, a broadband network that we've never had before that will change the, the digital infrastructure in this country. There's a lot of really important things in this bill, but it's got to be done right. And it's got to be done in a way that garners enough bipartisan support to get it done. So uh, we're, we're moving as quickly as we can. Senator Portman says they're working on every last detail. Racial bias has found a place in home values in Franklin County. That's according to a report just released out of a partnership between Franklin County Auditor Michael Stenziano and the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity. The report calls out that houses and neighborhoods from parts of Linden and the Hilltop were assessed at more than their sales values in at least nine years between 2010 and 2019. During that same time span, houses in wealthier and majority white neighborhoods of Worthington and Grandview Heights were undervalued. Franklin County Auditor Michael Stinziano told me that ensuring equity for the entire community is a priority. I know that you're really plugged in, so I know you've seen some of the pushback on issues like critical race theory and, and really people not wanting to talk about systemic racism. But we have read and we know that, that that redlining is one example of that. How do you anticipate this report is going to be received? So in this report is part of a multi-year process. It started uh, when we came in office and, and working with the performance audit. What we'll hear from appraisers are, well, the numbers are the numbers. We don't look at race. But when you dig down, and I think the Corwin report does a wonderful job of showing just how historically it has built up over time and played a role in how the valuations were established, um, you can't deny those facts. And we're also very committed in working with our third-party appraiser to make sure that we have a multi-review, not just one individual who may have implicit bias unknown to them, uh, but really make sure that we are finding that right balance for those valuations. The report concludes that racial disparities between black and white neighborhoods have grown since 2010 and that black homeowners are underrepresented in making board of revision claims that could lower their taxes. Recommendations include implementing measures to eliminate bias, removing subjective variables in the data gathering process and increasing outreach in higher income black majority neighborhoods to encourage more board of revision filings. COVID-19 cases are back on the upswing. Coming up, what the data tells us about that Delta variant in our state. And show me the money. Cash from the child tax credit is arriving in bank accounts. We'll make sure you are up to speed on how this works. And later, 100 years of John Glenn. A look back at this hometown hero's life.
Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants, organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com, and thanks for listening. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to the 10TV public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Brandon Lewis. You've probably heard members of Congress describe their medical insurance as the standard to beat, like... Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in this tweet with 615,000 likes. In turn, there are others who take it to mean Congress gets free health care. So why are we talking about this? Verify viewer Keith wants to know, do members of Congress really get free medical care for life? Our sources are North Carolina Representative Virginia Fox, the Congressional Institute, and the Congressional Research Service. This rumor of free health care started circulating around the time the Affordable Care Act was passed. In fact, the 2010 law actually required members of Congress to use the D.C. health care exchange to get insurance if they want it, as Representative Fox points out on her website, explaining members of Congress are responsible for part of the premium just like everyone else. The Congressional Institute says members must also pay a small annual fee to access the attending physician of the U.S. Congress. They have on-site medical staff for non-emergency care, like vaccination. While in office, representatives and senators also contribute to Medicare, much like any other job. But otherwise, the Congressional Research Service says there are no other insurance retirement benefits. So we can verify it's false that members of Congress get free medical care for life or even while serving in Congress. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. Is there something we can verify for you? Go to Facebook dot com slash WBNS 10 TV. Tweet us at 10 TV or email us at verify at 10 TV dot com. You can also see local verifies at 10 TV dot com slash verify. COVID-19 is on the rise in our state. Doctors say the key to fighting it off is vaccination. At the same time, new legislation in Ohio takes aim at vaccine requirements. 10 TV's Angela Reigert explains. The Delta variant is in fact rapidly increasing and is on a trajectory to become the dominant strain in Ohio. 
On the same day, Ohio health leaders warned of the risks of the Delta variant and urged vaccinations. When there are more people who are vaccinated, there are fewer people who can carry this virus. Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill banning public schools and universities from requiring vaccines not granted full approval by the FDA. It specifically targets the COVID-19 vaccines, which have emergency use authorization. Dr. Andrew Thomas is the chief clinical officer at OSU Wexner Medical Center. In a way, uh, vaccine providers or employers or schools would not be able to mandate the use of that vaccine under the federal rules for the EUA status. So in, in a way, I think once that EUA status goes away, uh, from my understanding of the legislation, those uh, restrictions on mandating the vaccine would also uh, go away. Right now, about 45% of the state is fully vaccinated. As for the Delta variant, we know between May 23rd and June 5th, Ohio health officials detected it in nearly 2% of the samples they tested. Between June 6th and 19th, that number jumped to 15%. It's likely to double in the next round of results. We now have two Ohio's, an Ohio that is vaccinated and protected on the one hand, and an Ohio that is unvaccinated and vulnerable to Delta on the other. The fear is the variant will keep spreading if more people don't roll up their sleeves. Now the focus turns to the fall with students back to school. I think the Ohio Department of Health is working with the Ohio Department of Education. Uh, to put out some guidance related to that. I'm not uh, able to speak about that today, but I do think it will probably relate to uh, those that are under age 12 needing to be masked to some degree when they're around other people. Reporting in Columbus, Angela Rigard, 10 TV News. More than 1 million families in Ohio started getting monthly checks as part of President Joe Biden's child tax credit. But who qualifies for the money? What do you have to do to get it? And where is it coming from? 10 TV's Gabriela Garcia has the answers. The child tax credit are monthly payments that are essentially an advance on tax credits that would normally be claimed at the end of the tax year. Now, this means these upcoming monthly payments will replace the annual credit that would otherwise be claimed at the start of 2022 next year. The credit is $3,600 annually for children under age 6 and $3,000 for children ages 6 to 17. But six months of payments will be advanced monthly through the end of this year. That means eligible families will get $300 a month for each child under 6 and $250 for each child older than that. But unlike economic impact payments, any payments in excess of what a family is eligible for might have to be repaid. Those payments are based on either your 2019 or your 2020 tax return, but your eligibility for the credit is based on 2021. So for instance, if you're not eligible for the full credit, but they they pay you the full credit amount. When you do your tax return next year, you'll do a reconciliation and you'll have to pay some of it back. If you filed taxes and the IRS already has your bank account information, the payments should be deposited directly into your account on the 15th of every month. Parents don't have to get the child tax credit if they don't want it. You can opt out for the rest of the year on the IRS's website. In Columbus, Gabriela Garcia, 10TV News. The expanded child's tax credit is currently only for 2021. The Biden administration 
is looking to extend it for years to come. You can get more information about this by texting the word credit to 614-460-3345. City of Columbus is back open for business. That's according to city leaders in an announcement. Their goal is to welcome both employees and visitors back to the capital city. The announcement took place during food truck food court. That's every Thursday at the John F. Wolf Columbus Commons from 11 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. We are really focused now on doing our work to bring people back downtown and making sure that they feel safe and excited about returning to downtown. The man in charge of Columbus's police and fire is stepping down. Ned Pettis Jr. has served the city for 40 years. He's going to be retiring as the city's public safety director. Pettis spent 35 years with the Columbus Division of Fire. He rose through the ranks and became the city's first African-American fire chief in 2002. On August 1st, 2016, Mayor Andrew Ginther appointed Pettis to his current position. Mayor Ginther says he's grateful for Pettis's leadership and decades of dedication. The city of Columbus approved nearly $300,000 on bulletproof vests and helmets, not for police, but for the fire department. The fire department says it was going to use that money to buy nearly 200 vests and nearly 200 helmets. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains why the job of firefighter is becoming more dangerous. Additional units to the area of 19th and College. We have several pedestrians struck by a vehicle. Firefighters don't always fight fires. Sometimes, like in the case in 2016 on the campus of Ohio State, they were called to care for students who had been run over by a car by an alleged terrorist who later slashed students with a butcher knife. Uh, all patients are uh, alert and oriented, but... Uh... Severe bleeding out of some of them. Bulletproof vests and helmets may seem like a strange thing for a fire department to purchase, but when you consider the number of mass shootings and other violent acts, the fire department says they're becoming more and more necessary. For example, after the 2017 mass shooting in Las Vegas, Columbus Fire began purchasing bulletproof helmets. Mass shootings like the one at the old Al Rosa Villa in Columbus in 2004, or the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando in 2016, or the Chardon High School shooting in 2012, has forced fire departments to ask for more protection. If they want to finish the job that they started, you know, it's not unusual to hear about these people pulling guns out and then shooting not only the person that they did before, but the rescuers. So for that reason, we've had vests. For decades, Columbus Fire has equipped its medic trucks with vests and helmets, but not for those who ride the fire engines. Asking the city to protect them, the department says, is critical to provide the quickest help to victims in cases of domestic violence or other criminal acts. I would liken it to, uh, we have a house on fire and half of our firefighters don't have gear. They're not gonna go inside a burning building. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. We checked to see if other fire departments have bulletproof vests and helmets. Whitehall purchased fitted vests for all of its personnel. All of Whitehall's trucks have ballistic helmets. Newark and Jefferson Township Fire in Black Blacklick also have helmets. There was simply no one like John Glenn coming up his 100th birthday. But first, there's a competition for just about everything, including the country's best parks. Coming up, the accolades for Ohio's scenic stops. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but 
I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. The strength of our country hasn't just been won on the battlefield. It's won every day in our communities when we come together in our toughest times. For over 100 years, the American Legion has been strengthening communities across our nation by providing life-saving help and support to our veterans and neighbors during times like we're facing today. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10TV, back to their public affairs program, Face the State. From last Sunday, the new episode airs this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Misleading posts shared thousands of times claim, quote, Japan has banned all BLM apparel from the Olympics. No one can kneel slash raise fists during the anthems, end quote. But is that true? Let's verify. Our sources include the International Olympic Committee and the Olympic World Library. The Olympics are governed by the IOC and the Olympic Charter. It's a set of rules that everyone agrees to follow within the Olympic venue. Rule 50 of that charter states that no political, religious, or racial demonstrations or propaganda are permitted. So we can verify, no, Japan did not ban Black Lives Matter apparel and kneeling during anthems. It's the IOC that sets those rules. But the IOC did update their guidelines to allow athletes to express themselves on the field prior to the start of competition for the Tokyo Olympics. With your fast facts, I'm Ariande Till. There's archery, there's hiking and camping in general. It just, it, it opens up like a whole new world. Visitors have already told us that Ohio State Parks are among the best nationwide. But the state is looking to make sure the rest of the country realizes that, too. The organization was named a 2021 National Gold Medal Award finalist. The winners will be announced in September. This weekend, Ohioans are celebrating an American hero. History-making astronaut John Glenn would have turned 100 his birthplace of Cambridge, and his childhood hometown of New Concord. Several events took place for the John Glenn Centennial Centennial Celebration. Glenn was the first American to orbit the Earth. He served in the U.S. Senate for 24 years. Then, at age 77, became the oldest person to go into space. John Glenn died in 2016 at the age of 95. Thank you all for joining us here today. We will see you next week for Face the State. Have a great Sunday.
That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. If you came across a child struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes. Their age. Where they speak. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America. 200 food banks strong. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Ray Hederman. He is the Executive Director of the Economic Research Center at the Buckeye Institute. How are you? I'm doing fine, Dave. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, talking to us. Tell us what the Buckeye Institute is. Yes, we're a free market think tank uh, loaded, uh, located in Columbus, Ohio. And what we try to do is, is research and uh, talk about policies that can increase prosperity and freedom in the state of Ohio. Fair to say that you are conservative or right-leaning? Uh, I, I prefer more free market, I think, you know, and to the extent that that ends up on uh, one side of the political spectrum, uh, we believe that uh, people make the best decisions, businesses know how to invest, and so we try not to favor uh, one party uh, over the other. Instead, we focus on policy-based solutions that can help uh, make people's lives better. Okay, and wanted to talk to you about the latest jobs report for the state of Ohio that came out last week. Ohio's uh, unemployment, 5.2%, up slightly from the month before at 5%. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, so the Ohio labor market was doing much better than the national average this spring, but it's cooled off slightly. Uh, we've seen that unemployment rate uh, climb back over 5%, and last month it went from 5 uh, to 5.2%. Uh, but it's not exactly a bad thing, you know, because what we're also seeing is uh, more people coming back to work. And when you have an increase in people returning to the labor market trying to find jobs, not all of them can find a job right away. And that's a good reason the unemployment rate may temporarily increase. People coming back to the labor market available to work, and maybe they don't find a job in the next month. So it's, uh, it's definitely a more optimistic report uh, than what we saw in May or, or, or even April, but it's definitely uh, not as strong as the Ohio labor market reports we saw uh, in the first quarter of the year. All of the parameters uh, for which these uh, formulas are used, are they harder for people in those fields to obtain right now because of the pandemic? Uh, yeah, yeah, some of the data 
data, you know, basically we interview businesses to come up with the unemployment forms. We also ask people, are you working? Uh, uh, if you're not, uh, are you actively looking for work? And, you know, one of the big questions we had around the May labor report was, uh, is the data actually accurate? Did we maybe get a bad sample? Because we are in an unprecedented period of adjustment. Uh, for example, we know that a lot of jobs that traditionally uh, are available in the spring and maybe go away uh, with seasonal workers, for example, think school crossing guards that aren't needed uh, when school's out. Uh, those jobs didn't exist, so they couldn't have gone away. So there's a real question on how accurate was some of the reporting uh, for May or June, and we expect to see more uh, more solid numbers uh, as we continue to get a handle on how the labor market has adjusted due to the pandemic and the recovery. We sure hear a lot about restaurants. Uh, you know, I mean, even the Cedar Point at the beginning of the year got off to a slow start because they didn't have enough workers. And we're hearing that from long-term care facilities, a lot of areas around Ohio that seem to be saying that. Yeah, you know, basically what we're seeing is that uh, a lot of workers uh, right now, if you're in the labor market, they feel good about their job prospects. Uh, data that we track uh, workers voluntarily leaving their job to try to get a higher paying job or maybe a, a, a changed career to something that interests them more, we're seeing those numbers very high. At the same standpoint, we're seeing record levels of job demand uh, from employers. Employers are desperately looking for workers. So we've seen that primarily hit a lot of high hospitality industries. We've seen that hit a lot of restaurants. Uh, so, for example, if you've been looking at maybe a, a local fast food restaurant, maybe they've changed their hours because they don't have enough workers, or they're not opening their dining hall and restaurants are only drive-through. And that's because we see uh, basically a lot of workers not yet back in the labor market. And we're going to keep a close eye on this labor force participation rate because Governor DeWine, I think, wisely said, look, let's end the $300 in hand unemployment benefit. That ended in late June. So the next data will really tell us is, is that going to help encourage workers to come back to the labor market and help people get uh, back to work, help employers find uh, the workers they need so their business can fully reopen? I guess to this point, all we've heard is sort of anecdotal evidence from some that that extra money is what's keeping people out of the workforce. Well, there have been a few studies, for example, uh, some, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, I believe out of San Francisco, looked at this, and they said, yeah, there is something here, because they surveyed uh, people that are unemployed, and they did find that uh, uh, some people cited the enhanced UI benefits as reasons they did not take a job when offered. Uh, we have seen uh, the Biden administration uh, change their tune a little bit about basically saying, uh, you know, this is not going to be a problem to, well, it's ending in September, so it's not that big a deal. Uh, they definitely are not saying that we should continue this policy. So a lot of the evidence we've seen have said when you're paying not to work, um, people are not going to work as much. Yeah, Biden even made some uh, references to that uh, during that town hall in Cincinnati. That, that was... He absolutely did, and that is exactly what I mean, Dave, about how they've changed their tune because uh, the president said, uh, well, if it's a problem, it's not going to be a problem much longer. It's going away. If you take a look of that rhetoric compared to where it was uh, 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 in the first part of the year when they said this is absolutely good policy, it tells me that the economists in the Biden administration are concerned about – uh, how many workers are staying out of the labor force? Well, it seems like uh, maybe because of the pandemic and the uh, the extra unemployment, which was 600 more a week at, at the beginning of the pandemic, that it's ramping up a lot of pressure on higher wages for business owners. 
uh, you know, and what we're seeing is uh, uh, inflation, you know, a lot of uh, a word that maybe a lot of younger people don't know or recognize, you know, seems to be back. Uh, and the question is, how long is this period of higher inflation going to last? Uh, another pressure that we saw for a lot of businesses is not just having to pay workers more, but also having to pay more for goods. Uh, you know, lumber obviously being uh, in the news, but now uh, prices people are paying from everything from a used car to a dishwasher, those are all adding up for costs. And that can make it harder for businesses to stay afloat or even recover uh, fully. Talking with Ray Hederman, he's executive director of the Economic Research Center at the Buckeye Institute. Well, Republicans at the State House have for years tried to change Ohio's unemployment compensation system to have shorter weeks of eligibility and perhaps maybe lower the, the cap on, weight, uh, on the amount of money that can be paid out. I would think, given what has happened in the last year with all these enhanced benefits, that that's going to be harder for them to get through. Ohio unemployment system is in need of some structural reform. Uh, we actually were paying back the federal government for, uh, for, for almost a decade, for a decade, uh, after the 2007-2008 recession. And we had to borrow substantially more money from the federal government as a result of the pandemic un- unemployment system. Uh, uh, we actually uh, wrote some papers on this, and uh, Governor DeWine you know, basically did a little bit what we talked about, which is using some of the federal stimulus money to pay back that federal But Ohio is going to have to continually borrow uh, to pay unemployment benefits unless it fixes its unemployment system. Uh, Unemployment uh, is basically a tax on wages uh, uh, for every worker that businesses pay, uh, and then they use that to help pay uh, unemployment benefits. So there's a real question on uh, do we have the right level of benefits uh, to meet the right level of tax revenue? And that's a question that the General Assembly needs to get right before the next recession. You think it will be tougher, though? I mean, because critics of what the Republicans have been trying to do is have been saying that you're shortchanging workers to the benefit of the business owners. You know, let's remember that you know the tax is actually basically uh, on every worker. So if you're a business owner, you're looking at how much an additional worker costs. Uh, that can actually reduce the salary of a worker because basically it is a tax that increases the compensation, the cost of hiring every additional worker. So it's a tax on both uh, business owners and, of course, the person who's actually working. So economists actually call this you know looking at the tax instance. And at the end of the day, if you're somebody at Cedar Point, you're trying to figure out how many uh, uh, workers to hire, and if there are higher taxes for unemployment, that makes it more expensive to hire uh, the same number of workers. So, you know, there needs to be a good balance between what is the right level of taxation and the right level of benefits, uh, because if you raise taxes too high, uh, worker uh, businesses are simply going to employ fewer workers to pay that level of tax. It seems to me, even looking before the pandemic, from what I can recall, that Governor DeWine's record is in terms of Ohio's employment situation as it compares to the rest of the country that he stacks up better than Kasich, Strickland or Taft in in all the recent years. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, as Ohioans know, um, the Ohio has trailed the national average in jobs, you know, uh, uh, since about the 1990s. Uh, but in the last couple of years, the Ohio labor market uh, was recovering rapidly, adding a lot of uh, jobs, and we were seeing some strong wage gains before the pandemic. Uh, and so, yes, the Ohio labor market uh, was in a strong place 
uh, was what we call very tight with a, you know, a lot of uh, people who had jobs uh, uh, being able to find better jobs. People who stayed in their jobs were getting uh, raises because we were close uh, uh, to full employment. Um, obviously, the pandemic uh, upset that, particularly in the leisure and hospitality, the hospitality industry. Um, we still need about 250,000 private jobs uh, to get back to where we were uh, in February of 2020 before uh, the pandemic really took hold. Talking with Ray Hederman, Executive Director of the Economic Research Center at the Buckeye Institute. The state budget, uh, overwhelming bipartisan support. Is that uh, at least in part because there was so much federal money available that it just wasn't as big a stickler? It was a combination of not just federal money, but Ohio tax dollars as well. Uh, let's remember that uh, Governor DeWine did something very prudent uh, last year in 2020, which is he froze uh, state spending, froze state hiring. Uh, and they did this in anticipation that tax revenues uh, uh, would decline. But in fact, you know, tax revenues didn't fall uh, by nearly the extent that people anticipated. So as a result, uh, Ohio had a a budget surplus based on the amount of sales taxes Ohioans were paying and our income taxes were stronger. Add on top, you know, a little bit of the federal funds and you had a budget uh, that would enable Ohio to spend on some core priorities and cut taxes. So that's one of the reasons it got so strong bipartisan support. But part of it, again, is because Ohioans, uh, uh, the Ohio economy did better than people anticipated during COVID. And when they were paying those taxes, that contributed to the Ohio surplus. Uh, we wish that uh, we had had a larger tax cut to return those taxes uh, back to the hardworking Ohioans who paid for it. And we're concerned a little bit about some of the spending, but the Ohio budget had some very uh, uh, good things in there that can help prepare Ohio for the next decade. I know you're a proponent of that state income tax cut, but that's one of the points that Democrats have been against for years, saying that, you know, the state is giving billions of dollars back to Ohioans, but the vast majority of that goes to the wealthiest, and the average Ohioan is getting maybe 50 bucks out of that. Well, you know, it's because uh, basically whenever you have a progressive tax system, those who pay more tax, if you have a fair tax cut, they will get more tax dollars. But the reason you want to be be able to give tax cuts to businesses is so businesses can invest more, they can employ more workers. You know, what we're looking at is a lot of small businesses in Ohio. They really got hammered over the past year. And as they're starting to recover, being able to reduce taxes so they can hire more workers, so they can sit there, figure out ways that they can uh, start a new franchise, that's how you're going to create the economic growth. That's what Ohio needs to do because states, for example, that have a, a, a more favorable business tax regime, Florida, Texas, Arizona, those are the states that have been booming over the last 30 years compared to higher tax states like New York or Illinois, where we're seeing fewer business startups. In a lot of cases, a lot of middle class and entrepreneurs leaving those states for Phoenix, Arizona, or Austin, Texas. And last thoughts from you, Ray. What do you think about uh, the economy going forward? I know a lot of it still depends, as it has for a year and a half on this pandemic, but what is your gut feeling? Well, I'm taking a look at a lot of the surveys, and there's a lot of optimism, again, that uh, we have people have some strong savings. 
the Ohio is Ohioans are getting a tax cut, and so I think you know that'll encourage people to get back to work, uh, encourage people to be, be continue to be able to go out and spend money at a restaurant to go visit some of our amusement parks or not, or state parks, uh, and that'll help keep the economy going. What I am concerned about is uh, are we going to start seeing some of this inflation become permanent? Uh, uh, in that case, we could see a few bumpy years ahead, but that's going to be determined a lot by some of the bad federal policies that we're seeing that's throwing a lot of money at state and local governments uh, that could result in permanent spending increases that require some higher taxes. But I think, you know, taking a look over the next couple of months, are we seeing more Ohioans re-entering the labor force uh, uh, and finding jobs? That'll be the key to Ohio fully recovering from the pandemic. And it sounds like a lot of baby boomers who maybe were working from home uh, over the last year and a half don't want to go back to the office or, or want out of the workforce altogether now and retire earlier than they were planning to. Well, you know, that's exactly right. I mean, and not just baby boomers, you know, but young people, uh, millennials, Gen Xers, people don't want to go into the office as much five days a week. And so a lot of employers are being flexible. Um, And it is also important that cities like, you know, Columbus, Cleveland, that depended on commuter taxes, they're not going to have the same uh, tax base as a lot of companies are, are competing with each other to attract workers by giving workers the flexibility to work from home. And so cities are going to need to think carefully about what this is going to mean for their tax base. They're going to need to trim some spending, and they're going to look, need to look at other ways that uh, uh, they can get uh, re- revenue and be physically prudent because we're not going to go back to the economy that was in 2019 where everybody's spending five days in the office. You're seeing that in every state, big companies, small companies are trying to offer flexibility to working mothers, uh, to parents, to younger people, to older people, people who sit there and say, I want to work from home one or two days a week. And I think that's going to be a permanent trend uh, that you do see a lot more people utilizing remote work. And I think that's a great benefit to Ohio because a lot of people have been looking at relocating, coming to Ohio, which has an affordable cost of living, has some good schools. You could see remote workers uh, boosting population in some smaller Ohio suburbs and towns. Your institute's been involved in these lawsuits uh, determining where city income taxes should be paid when people have shifted where they're working from home now. And yeah. and you've you've lost several of those, but, but it's still ongoing. Do you think that's going to end up at, at like a federal level to decide all this stuff? Well, you know, taxation without representation uh, was one of the key elements of, uh, you know, the American founding. And we continue to think that that'll be uh, litigated in some courts. Uh, in the budget, you know, the uh, Ohio General Assembly recognized that you simply can't tax people for where they used to work. Uh, you need to tax them where they do work. Uh, so some of our lawsuits, for example, involve people out of state who used to work in Ohio and never came to Ohio. Uh, so those are going to be questions that will continually be decided. Um, but I think, you know, the important thing is thinking through uh, the fact that a lot of big businesses that used to be downtown, uh, uh, nationwide insurance, uh, insurance, for example, located in Columbus, has said a lot of their workers are going to remain remote. Uh, the tax base is not going to be the same. And so cities need to rethink how they're going to structure their spending uh, because the commuter tax will not look, uh, it will return to the same level it was pre-pandemic. All right. Uh, interesting stuff. Ray Hederman, he's the executive director of the Economic Research Center at the Buckeye Institute. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think we covered it, Dave. Thanks. 
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM at 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.